Spoke Media. Hey, y'all. I have a question for you. Right here at the top of the episode, an icebreaker, if you will. It's a question that never really occurred to me until my dad died and I started working on this project and thinking about my life all the time through the lens of narrative. But if you had to give a genre to the story of your life so far, what would your genre be? Dark comedy. Musical. Romantic comedy. I guess romantic comedy? Like a series of unfortunate events, but some great twists and turns. Let's call it a self-discovery. Journey of self-discovery movie. It was a string of, like, Adam Sandler dramedies that came out in the 90s. Adventurous gay. My impulse was documentary, but then it's just like, well, duh. (laughs) One of the weirdest parts of finding out that the dad I didn't know, but always planned on reconciling with, died suddenly, and then going to his funerals and folks being surprised that I existed, is that it didn't feel like I was a daughter mourning the loss of her father. It felt like I was a character who was ripped out of her page and thrown into a completely different book with a totally different genre. Like, I was this character who was in an indie rom-com, let's say. Like, our plucky female protagonist who's, like, making art and figuring out her place in this world in her 20s. And she's got this mom, and maybe they're, like, a little codependent. But, like, it's cute. They're the Gilmore Girls, whatever. And then I'm thrown into this world where I am now the surprise bastard daughter in a soap opera? And the details are so garish and on the nose. Like, there's nothing subtle about it anymore. Everything's heightened and awful. My dad dies on my birthday. That's the character I am. That's the story this is. I walk into a funeral and everyone says, how come we didn't know about you? And like whispers, like, what is this new world? What are these new rules? What am I supposed to do here? Anyways, that's what we're going to figure out. Welcome back to Untitled Dad Project, Chapter 2, Genre. First of all, thank you for coming back. It means the world to me. Second of all, I should reiterate the thesis of this difficult to describe in a nutshell. You just kind of have to listen to a podcast. Untitled Dad Project is my meta-narrative quest to figure out how to tell my own story, decide what to do with my dad character, and hopefully find some kind of closure, even if it's just narrative closure. I'm Janielle, the writer, and also the main character, who we call Jan character sometimes when I need to kind of like disassociate. (laughs) And I'm Carson, and I'm the director. In each episode, we look through a different narrative lens. Last week was inciting incident, this week is genre, with the hopes that by the end of this, I'll have figured out how to tell my own story. And hopefully, by the end of this, we will find a more concise way to describe this podcast. Yeah. (laughs) On the last episode, we'll finally come up with, like, the elevator pitch. The one tagline. Yeah. As opposed to, okay, well, three years ago, um... (laughs) 
Janiel, you've been talking about genre for a while now. This is actually a clip of you about two and a half years ago telling me about it. Okay, so lights up on my genre. Um, my birthday, my 25th birthday. I am having a Mad Men-inspired cocktail party. There was probably at least 60 to 70 people there. That was a big party. Um, and it's like a fancy cocktail party and my friend Jeremy's bartending. So we actually have fancy, fancy cocktails, like, you know, like ch chartreuse, et cetera, <laughs> um, kind of cocktails. And, and I'm wearing this gray vintage dress that I love. And I'm, you know, dating someone who's like wonderful and looks great in a suit. And so I was turning 25. So everyone on the room says they, they collectively come up with 25 things they love about me. And um, I couldn't be more surrounded by like wonderful humans on my birthday. And... Meanwhile, my dad is dying alone in his apartment. Or rather, he was declared dead on my birthday. So that's when a bunch of my dad's friends are getting convincing the super to break down his door and which when they discover um, that he's dead in his apartment alone. Like, that's what's happening side by side. Yeah, that to me is exactly the split screen that opens up. Like, that's the moment when it happens, right? I actually want to take you to a different moment in this past interview uh, where you're talking about the macaroons in the bathtub. Oh, right, right, right. Mm -hmm. The next morning, uh, a, couple, a couple days, I took my bereavement days, so I just didn't go into work. Everyone was texting me. I didn't respond, but I appreciated it. And then I, so I, I ran a bubble bath. Then I went downstairs and I had all these leftover macaroons from my birthday because I love macaroons and they got them for me and... Um, they were fancy ones, too, and I had been, like, saving them for a special occasion, and then my dad died. And so I was like, okay, I'll enjoy them now. So I get the macaroons, and I get uh, – there's a bottle of red wine left over for my party that um, someone brought as a birthday present. So I get in the tub, and I drink the wine, and I bite into the macaroons, macaroons and they crumble everywhere because you can't keep macaroons for more than a couple of days, turns out. You have to, like, freeze them or something. So they just crumble everywhere. I was, like, wanted these to be really special, and they just – what a waste. It was a nice little metaphor for the dad stuff, right? I wanted this to be something special. I thought maybe if I saved it, I'd wait and I'd save it and my email would be really special. What a waste. Just crumbled. That is the moment to me, the oh shit moment, the big visual representation of you moving from indie rom-com genre suddenly to soap opera world. Yeah, it's the cinematic version of... There's no going back. Like, visually, there's crumbs everywhere, and you never get to return. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. From here on out, from macaroon crumbs on out, it's a funeral where people are standing on a dock and wanting to have a nice time and to say goodbye to their friend, and I enter, and I disrupt everything. Yes, there's big, dramatic head turns and whispering happening behind your back. Like, that's a soap opera, right? It is, and, and I'm a side character in it. I'm like a plot device. I'm just this thing that comes in and fucks everything up. So if I've suddenly arrived in the soap opera world, I want to figure out how I can move from being a soap opera side little plot twist that's fucking everything up to a protagonist in this new genre I find myself in. So to make all that happen, we sat down with Taylor Ann Ramsey. I am Taylor Ann Ramsey, and I am so happy to contribute to this project. So my area of expertise is performing and having a perspective on the soap opera world. 
Taylor Ann's relationship to the soap opera world started when she was a teenager. Well, I was kind of thrust into it um, when I was 17. It was my very first film and TV audition. First audition ever, she books Passions, which was on NBC right after Days of Our Lives, for those of us who had to ask. And Taylor wasn't, like, a fan. You know, Parker Posey was my hero, and I listened to Portishead and like smoked the- Dijarum <laughs> cigarettes, right? So I was like, a soap opera? That's kind of embarrassing, right? <laughs> but it was her chance to ditch her high school and move to California and make money. And even within the soap opera universe, Passions was a lot. There was witchcraft, demons, a doll that came to life, an orangutan that was a nurse. She played Kay Bennett, who had one single-minded purpose. Make Miguel fall in love with me, right? Miguel. Miguel. Miguel Miguel Lopez Fitzgerald. (laughs) Miguel Lopez Fitzgerald. (laughs) But Miguel Lopez Fitzgerald was in love with her cousin. Right, and my cousin was the perfect goody two-shoes, right? But she also happened to be, like, an angel or something. She had some, like, supernatural power. Oh, literally. Right. She was literally an angel. She was literally an angel. So my character became a witch, naturally. As you do. As you do. Like, I am encouraged right off the bat by how wide this genre opens up my options, like, as a character in a story. And just like I did with you all listening, I gave Taylor Ann all the details of my story so far. The last I heard from him was, I guess, around 13, 14. So 10 with Taylor Ann, I hone in on the six months before my dad dies, starting at when he finally showed up at a court hearing about paying back child support. And he sees my mom there for the first time since I was in middle school, and we got lunch that one time, and I gave him those Farside comics. And while they're waiting— Uh, outside the court, my dad apparently mentions the college I went to and how I studied abroad at Oxford and rattles off some details that he knows about me. And my mom asks, like, how do you know that? Are you her Facebook friend? And he replies, no, I Google her. Which kind of reveals a level at which my mom doesn't quite um, get where I'm coming from with all this. Like, being Facebook friends with somebody is a level of, like, chill, casual acquaintanceship that I do not have with this man. And she's really shocked when she calls me later that night to tell me how it went in court and mentions, oh, did I tell you that Rick Googles you? And then I immediately burst into, like, childlike sobs. She was really surprised. But, like, as far as I knew, this was the first indication that this man was even interested in the fact that I existed to Google passively. Anywho, um, back at the court... When my dad says, no, I Google her, and my mom replies with, my mom's like, instead of Googling her, you should reach out to her, which is a pretty good line. Yes, absolutely. I'm explaining all this to you all because when I was talking to Taylor Ann, I was, like, pretty manic. (laughs) But I go on to explain to her how my mom kept pressing me to reach out to him. She has these premonitions. He doesn't have much time. She would say, you know, it's Father's Day. Why don't you call your dad? And... I, you know, I sobbed when I found out he Googled me. I obviously am not ready for just like a chill phone call. Happy Father's Day. So I just keep drafting. And I'm not ready to reach out to him. And she keeps having premonitions, but she always has premonitions, so I ignore them. But I keep drafting in my mind something to say, something of forgiveness. And you know the rest. He dies. I'm discovered. I'm CC'd on funeral arrangements the whole enchilada. All of a sudden, I'm thrust into a soap opera where I'm the bastard, surprise bastard daughter of 2015. And I'm getting all these Facebook messages from people like, your father meant so much to me. I had no idea. I had a daughter. Like, I'd love to get coffee. And I'm like, what do I do with this? Wow, wow, wow. And going to his funerals and everyone kind of like 
knowing who I was, but not knowing what to say to me. So their first line was, how come we didn't know about you? This is very dramatic. You're right. right. Extremely <laughs> dramatic. Yes. Okay. And it sounds like maybe it happened, to, you know, over the course of like many, many, many days, which also happens in the soap opera world. Like it just drags on. And it's like everyone's bursting through the door with more dramatic information. <laughs> Carson, I sound so like thrilled. You're very excited to hear that you are correct in assuming that you've been dropped into a soap opera. Yeah, I sound so delighted talking to Taylor Ann about this. I guess, like, when I'm looking at it through the lens of a soap opera, like, this is the first convo that I had where all these awful, hairy, dramatic, on-the-nose components of my trauma are fantastic. Like, I'm killing it. (laughs) Like, I'm in a soap opera, but, like, I'm—it's a good one. But, like, people will find awe and sort of delight in— What's interesting about it, too, is the timing, right? Mm. So it sounds like when you finally came to a place where you got his email address and you were ready to make contact, like, boom, wow, there's no more opportunity for that. And so how do you deal with that fallout? And what does that look like? Um, And that lines up kind of with the dramatic arc of a soap opera. I definitely think it does, right? (laughs) Because it's it's very rare that there's any resolution, Mm. you know, whatsoever. It's it's mostly a confrontation or surprise or... um, you know, to keep the drama going, right? So the actual sitting across from the table or having the conversation or, you know, working through processing something doesn't happen. (laughs) Right. That's kind of a bummer of the soap opera genre because the whole point of this is finding a resolution. Yeah, we don't want the drama to keep going. We want to get you out of the soap opera genre eventually. Right. So we we need to excel at the soap opera genre so then hopefully I can graduate from it. Yes. I imagine, too, and you can tell me more about this, but, like, what must that have been like for you to show up at that funeral? And I think of the perfect scene to tell Taylor Ann. And I'm going to narrate it for you again because past Jan was, like, really, like, excited and frenetic and kind of hard to follow. Um, So I tell her about how most of my early interactions at the funeral were with my dad character's friends asking me, how come we didn't know about you, which left me with this choice Uh, to respond with option one, which is say something really nice that would make them feel better about their friend who just died. Something like, you know, things just, you know, happen. People grow apart, you know. Or option two, um, tell them the truth and say, well, my dad abandoned me and didn't tell you about it, so you should probably think about what kind of man that makes him. Which is like, like true and would vindicate me and my pain, but is sort of a hard way to navigate your way through a funeral. Or the third option, which I chose, which was to make a bunch of pleasant mouth sounds. Well, I don't know. I wish I knew too. Uh, (laughs) But the question itself felt violent. It felt like either destroy their narrative or destroy my own existence and my own pain. But then... The scene I wanted to talk about with Taylor Ann. In the middle of this funeral, a woman who was my dad's friend pulls me aside and had a completely different vibe. She had these, like, a sadness in her eyes, and she was really gentle but also kind of desperate. Like, she'd clear- clearly been waiting to talk to me all afternoon. Um, and she said, like, I lost my father, or my father left us when I was really young. And she was like, and I 
got to reconcile with him as an adult, like in my late 20s. And she was like, and I just really wish you could have had that. And I was like, uh, yeah, me too. Right. Um, and she was really lovely, like not at all trying to be hurtful. Trying to relate, maybe? I don't think she could help but relate. I think right. she was just projecting onto me. Right. And she was like, you know, your dad... When my father got sick and I didn't have money to go fly, he found two buddy passes and showed up at our door and said, like, I want you and your husband to be able to go see your father before he dies. And uh, and she was like, I just want you to know, like, that's the kind of man he was. Hmm. And I was like, that's great. Like, how wonderful. Right. I don't want to take What would it be like for me to have that opportunity to know him? Yeah. Right? And, and then she segues into being, like, wanting to know. Like, right. so what is, like— why was it he not in, you know, you're obviously just wanting to know, like, an answer to make her feel better. Mm-hmm. I can tell it was really eating her alive. And and I was like, well, you know, he, I, last I heard from him was, like, 10 years ago. And she goes, oh, oh, that's right around when he was diagnosed with throat cancer because he had cancer at some point. And she was like, well, that's just like him. Okay, that makes sense. Because Everyone's trying to make sense of this. Everyone's absolutely. trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together absolutely. from their own frame of reference and their own information. And it's like... It's just incredible to me that everybody is trying to make sense of this. Yeah, absolutely. And and because she was like, that makes perfect sense because he wouldn't right. have wanted to burden you while oh, he was going okay. through this illness. So that fits her narrative. And so this is my option, right? This mm-hmm. is the crossroads. I have the chance to give her that. Sure. That must have been it. Right. Like, give her that gift. Let her sleep. And I can't, everything in my body cannot relinquish that as the narrative. I cannot let her off the hook. Um, and so I said, like, well, I think that would line up if he was, you know, paying child support while he wasn't in our, my life. Good for um, you. Why make it more palatable for her? You know, it's yeah. not your responsibility. And I think it's really admirable that you were authentic in that moment. I don't agree. Like, I still don't. I agree. She's right. It's not my job to make my dad's choices more palatable for his friends. Um, but that's not how I felt. You know, like, I wasn't rude to that woman at all. Uh, I really wasn't, but I but I really wanted a version or a story that could help her hold on to this vision of her friend as, like, a sweet man and not have to complicate it with the fact that he might have been a really bad father. Like she seemed really nice and in a lot of pain, and my dad clearly meant a lot to her. But in order to give her a version of the story to say, yeah, that must have been it, you know? He was so selfless that he just didn't want to burden me. That would be to ignore my lived experience. Like, to give her that gift would mean to exist a little less. Like, something to consider if you are somebody who has ever had your understanding of your world or, like, the people in your life disrupted or upended by some side character. On behalf of the side character, we don't want to ruin things for you. We wish this guy was the way you think he is, too. Like, on behalf of the other woman you found out about via text message on your husband's phone who completely disrupted your marriage, or, like, the nameless alien who crash-landed on your planet, disrupting your home and your cornfield. Like, the woman who steps forward with, like, an awful story about that celebrity whose work you admire, or the surprise bastard child who shows up at your friend's funeral— Like, on behalf of all of us side characters who ruin your story and your narrative, I offer this. We don't want to screw up your story either. We know you liked things better before we showed up. Like, we had rich and full lives where we were the protagonists, you know? Like, a romance where we weren't the other woman. Like, we didn't know he was married, maybe. Or a home planet. 
a life that we loved, you know? We didn't want to ruin things either. I wish these people were who you thought they were. I wish your story could be what you want it to be. I wish it was less complicated for you. Anyways, back to the scene at hand um, that I'm telling Taylor Ann about. So this very sad woman asks to meet my mom, and then another one of my dad's friends joins us. So there's the four of us standing there, and this you know, new friend goes, Well, isn't it just like, Rick, if you couldn't do something perfect, you just wouldn't do it at all. So if you couldn't be like all in dad to you, probably just whatever, whatever. And they're just like, ha, ha, ha. And my mom says something to the effect of like, oh, well, yeah, you know, you know, I saw him and he had said, you know, that Janelle, blah, blah. And and because they're Facebook friends, because she still didn't remember that Google is not Facebook. Because they're Facebook friends. And then this other, the sweet woman goes like, oh. Oh, so he was your your friend on Facebook. He could follow your life, whatever. Just like desperate for some right. He was oh, so he was he was your Facebook friend. And I go and I snapped. That was the one I had like kept it. Yeah. And I snapped and I go, no, I was not his Facebook friend. He Googled me from afar. It's different. Absolutely. And then I started sobbing and stormed off. So this is like a soap opera. Absolutely. But my dad's funeral was on a dock at White Rock Lake, so there are no bathrooms there. So to storm off to the bathrooms, the bathrooms are porta potties that are like a half mile up this narrow <laughs> ramp. So I storm off weeping, and the only place to go Terrible. is to then keep storming half a mile up this narrow dock, like through the like water. And so I can feel everyone has turned and looked, and it's like, well, that's the daughter. And I'm so, and then like ten minutes go by, and I'm sobbing, and then my mom like comes in, and is like, oh honey, and I was like, why did you? Did you stay and talk to them? Like, why didn't you come after me? And she's like, I did, but I walked so much slower than you. <laughs> so then if you zoom out, the scene is actually me trucking it down half a mile of this narrow And this woman, like, behind me kind of, like, walking slowly, toddling by. <laughs> oh, that's the, that's the mother, you know? Also, you know, you can see this very dramatic moment. And there's probably, it's probably, like, a beautiful day with, like, sailboats on the lake. Gorgeous. Right? People beautiful holding wind. hands, walking around. There's a breeze. Everyone's totally. in sailing wear. Totally. On a, a on this beautiful like lake, uh, uh, unreal. Yeah, so that's the scene. So is, is that right for any soap opera? I, the whole thing is <laughs> from from start to finish. Absolutely. All right, before we get deeper into the soap opera world and activate this for you, Janielle, we need to take a break. All right, so if I'm going to be stuck here in a soap opera, I want to take matters into my own hands. And instead of being a, like, side character quietly traumatized in everyone else's story, be a protagonist in the soap opera of my own making and see what that can teach me about my story. I mean, all I can tell you as an actor is that you say the same people's names over and over and over again. You do? Unlike in real life. Right, right. Okay. Um, over and over again. Also, I would say the people that come up to confront you in the funeral, I would really, um, I would up the ante in terms of like their investment in confronting you. Oh, okay. So 
whatever that is about, you could even, you know, add some sort of element behind it of like what they need from that moment from you. So, so in the sub opera world, it's, everyone has a very clear target. Very clear. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very clear. And they target. never let you forget it. Right. Whether okay. they're having, you could add a monologue. Like there's an, a thing that happens in the soap opera world, which is an inner monologue, but you're, you're talking out loud to yourself and that's very normal. <laughs> could you give me an example? Like, like, so if you know, you'd be alone in a room. So maybe you're alone at your house and you're thinking of going to the funeral and you're thinking of the people that you're going to see, or you're thinking of your mother and you're, you're and whatever the conflict may be. And you say, you know, if that so-and-so shows up, I'll be sure to tell her, you know, to read her the riot act and tell her that she has no right to speak to me about my experience with my father. Okay, great. Something, 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 but you know, you can embellish it. Right. But yeah, there's like a moment where you're like sitting at your desk alone, just talking out loud to yourself. What I remember of my limited exposure to soap operas is Mm -hmm. like, there tend to be like violent gestures that button things, mm-hmm. like like the throwing of the glass mm-hmm. or like a, a slamming of a door. Not Absolutely. Really, I guess I don't remember that many slammings of doors. Lots of throwing of glasses, though. Lots of throwing of glasses. Mm-hmm. Are there other sort of gestures that are, are, are signature that I should think about? Yeah, I mean, you could even add some elements, some supernatural elements to your story. Okay. Why not? Um, I had a line come to me that I thought could be interesting mm. as like an end of the confrontation with the dad moment and... This is indicative of the larger problem, which is that I don't know what the father would say. I have so I don't have information there. Right. So I guess names are a lot. Yeah. So they say Rick. Yes. Dad. Yeah. Why didn't you tell anyone about me? Were you ashamed of me? Maybe the glass is there. Yeah. And then he would say, No, I I was ashamed of myself. Oh, I think that's brilliant. That sounds good. That sounds okay. Spot on. But I don't know what the lines would be leading up to that. And so should the water be before the the throw, the, like the toss, and then the like the question? Yes, the toss first. And toss I love first. and I, I know this is crazy, but I love the Rick slash dad. <laughs> you I don't mean, even know Taylor Ann. Keep that in every line. Rick dad. <laughs> okay, I will. Okay, so that's actually like a become a big narrative theme throughout this was that the last birthday card he sent me, he signed dad slash Rick. Rick. Wow. I know. Doesn't that tell you everything you need to know, but yes. also not tell you anything that you need to know? Yes, yes. It does both at the same time. It does, and that's why it's you've got to keep that. If it's supernatural, could I be monologuing by like his tombstone, his graveside, and he can hear it? Perfect. Okay. I love it. But he yes. could hear it because in the supernatural, he's a ghost or yes, something. Yes, and just his voice could come on from oh, the other side. Okay, 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 okay. Write it by the, okay, write it by the um, graveside um, Jan monologues. Dad, Rick, voice, ghost. Okay. I love that one. That could be really powerful. Very. Last question I asked Taylor Ann is, what is there to admire about the soap opera world? Like as a genre, is there anything to learn or or glean from it that I should keep in mind? Oh, you mean for real life? Or just like any anything that you think is worthy or admirable in the way... People like I don't know. And the way people communicate in the soap opera world? Yeah, or the way it's handled. It's dumb and it makes no sense. (laughs) It makes no sense. Okay, great. I tried again. This is my new genre. There has to be something to celebrate about it. Or or really, if there's anything that you think is interesting or good. Mm. Everyone in the soap opera world is extremely determined. Okay. So maybe that's okay. Determination. Totally. Like nothing's going to stop me from getting what I want. 
don't let anything keep you from your goals. <laughs> sure. And I think when looking at it um, for your specific purposes, say whatever you want to say. Hmm. Like give yourself the freedom to say it all and, and leave, you know, no stone unturned. Because I think that's a hallmark okay. of the soap opera world too. It's like nothing is off limits or out of bounds and and nothing is too ridiculous <laughs> either. Okay. <laughs> okay. I've never written for my, I've never spoken like that, actually. I don't yeah. think very often in my life, um, nor have I written like that. So that's like a, an interesting exercise. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much You're for welcome. this, Taylor. And this has like thank been a you. delight. Same. Ah, I'm so, it's such a joy so to see you. To you too. Here is us debriefing right after that conversation with Taylor Ann, which is almost exactly a year ago. I'm I'm feeling this like other thing now after telling the story to Taylor Ann, um, where I kind of want to have the scene at the funeral where I confront like all these random people, but I don't think that's actually the task at hand because it is really easy for me to be angry at these random friends of his, and it's really hard for me to be angry at him. The thing I would like this activity to do is force you to have some of that about your dad. Have some. Of that I know. Same, uh, ready to say all of those things. I think what I have to rely on here, honestly, is um, m- my instinctual desire for good dialogue to let that take the wheel yes. and let my obsessive um, concern over whether or not he loved me or he cared or was ashamed of me or was an awful person. Like all, my need to know exactly what he actually was and what his motives really were um, has to take a back seat here. Write a good scene where you say all the things that you want to say unapologetically, but it's just a good scene. Yeah. I can do that. It's not easy, though. I'm sorry. Well, throwing a glass will be fun. I'll look forward to that moment. Are you ready to write your scene? Yeah, now a year later. (laughs) (laughs) We talked to Taylor Ann and debriefed on this a year ago, and now we're putting all this audio together and making it into the podcast, into the story, and figuring it out, and I've got to write the damn soap opera scene in which I confront my father. But I think you did a pretty good job at procrastinating because while you weren't writing that scene, you were casting a dad. Okay, will you show me the website? Uh, yes, I will. He looks like um, the, just the daddiest of dads. It says uh, he's a native Texan, which means, you know. Nothing. Nothing. Yogi Bear impression. He's a puppeteer. I think I like Bob's look. He could definitely be my dad. Bob, this Bob is um, a lot more soap opera-y, but he looks a lot less like he'd be my dad. This Bob has the command more yeah. than the other Bob we were looking at. What's the other? Who's the other Bob? The other Bob oh, yeah. is this Bob. It's just like a chorus of Bobs. <laughs> Which Bob do you want? I like this Bob, though. This is Jim. Jim. Jim could do it. Jim is kind of scary, and I think I should be a little scared of him. Yeah. He's not, he's not scary. No. He just, he's intense. Like, all his photos are really intense. Yeah. He has a baritone singing voice. He snow skis. Okay, great. So we have our plan. We have, we have our plan. Great. Awesome. Let's see who we end up with. Go team. Go team. So while I cast a dad and Jan writes a scene, you listen to these ads, and when we come back, we'll make a soap opera. Spoke Media.
Okay, I'm recording now. Hi guys! Hi! I don't know why no one knew about me. It's not like I never... It's like I never... It's like I ne never... This is, this is not well written at the top. I don't know why no one knows. I don't know why no one knew about me. It's like I never even existed to them. I want to let him know how much that hurts to not exist in this world, his world, to not be acknowledged. But I bet I knew know where to find him now. I throw my drink in his face. Oh! Why didn't you tell anyone about me? Oh, I have to ask those questions. Those are questions. Dad, Rick, why didn't you tell anyone about me? I was ashamed of myself. Big deep breath. You can think about breathing from your toes from the ground all the way up. <sighs> Exterior, sunny and windy day. A dot on a lake. Sounds of women laughing, not seen. Enter Jan, running from the women's laughter. She stops, looks out at the lake, and monologues to herself. I don't know why no one knew about me. It's like I never even existed to them. I don't think I exist to them now, not really. I don't know how to answer their question, how come we didn't know about you? Only he knows that answer, and I never got to ask him. He died before I could get an answer to that question. I want to know why he ignored me and didn't tell anyone about me. I want to let him know how much that hurts to not exist in his world, to not be acknowledged, to be a surprise to everyone at his funeral. I never knew my father then, but I bet I know where to find him now. Cut to interior, clubhouse on the dock by the lake. Dad. Rick. There you are. Here I am. I didn't know if you'd go to my funeral. It was nice of you to pay your respects. Though a bit awkward for me. Grab a drink. Jan grabs a drink on the table. I didn't come to pay my respects. I came to get answers. About what kind of man you are. About what I meant to you. About why you didn't acknowledge me. You aren't even acknowledging me now. Look at me. He doesn't turn. Look at me. He doesn't turn. Look at me. Dad slash Rick finally turns to face Jan. Jan throws their drink in his face. How dare you believe you didn't owe me anything? What did I owe you? Love. Care. But most of all, answers. How dare you die before giving me answers? Well, I'm here now. What do you want to know? Dad? Rick, why didn't you tell anyone about me? Why didn't you reach out to me besides that birthday card a decade ago? Why did you die before I could say goodbye? What was I to you? Do you wish I was never born? Were you ashamed of me? I was ashamed of myself. A knock on the door. Jan turns toward the noise. She looks back, 
Dad slash Ricky is gone. His drink remains. She crosses to the drink, picks it up, stares meaningfully. He's gone. exhausting was it yeah it was really emotionally draining yeah you had there were a lot of feelings all at once yeah that was a lot of feelings if there's like the feeling of like the baseline feeling that is this project which is like when I invite people into it like whether I ask them to let me interview them or ask them to be the actor who is my dead dad ghost so I can confront them there's just this feeling in the room of like is this insane and then just pretending like it's normal and you you made it you pretend you acted like it was a super professional normal engagement for someone to get from their agent yeah <laughs> an actor. um I felt really like uh I felt really good actually to throw in his face but I was surprised but one of the most meaningful parts was um asking the questions at the end like, how dare you die without giving me answers? And and uh, why didn't you tell anyone about me? And uh, what was I to you? Like, I found myself getting, like, really dropping in and feeling very moved as the character when I asked those questions. Yeah. You know, it's much easier for me to, like, to talk around the idea of my dad than it is to, like, actually ask those questions because there's, like, inevitably some pretty scary answers at the end of it. And then when he was like, I was ashamed of myself— People have said that to me a lot. And you've said that to me that you think he was just ashamed of himself. Like, Yeah. But it feels so easy and convenient. And I've, I'm unwilling to like I just accept the easy, convenient answers for myself because I fear that they're crutches. But as he said it, I was like, yeah, that's probably true. Hmm. I mean, I wrote it kind of because it, it fits the scene very well. But as he was saying it, I was like, yeah, he probably really was. It's nice to confront someone. But I didn't feel the fear in my belly that I think I would as a child. The power dynamic of somebody having, like, loved you and left you and the way that feels in your belly when you don't have power and you're searching for it is a very particular thing. And I didn't feel the feeling. Like, I created a world in the script in which I was a character who didn't have the power and was reaching for it, demanding it, snatching it, splashing for it. But I didn't feel the feeling in my body, which is I have less power than the other person does. Can you tell me why you think that? Because I don't know. Because I don't know what I am to him, whether he loved me or cared about me, whether he you know, sent that one birthday card that one time because he felt guilty and um, otherwise didn't really, you know, like, had I actually gotten lunch with him, maybe he would have said something like, well, you never reached out to me or your mom, you know, all the stuff that I know isn't true because my mom never kept him from me and I, he knew where I was. I didn't know where he was. Can I counter? Yeah. Had you met with him for lunch, there is a scenario in which you could have walked in cards close to the chest he also doesn't know how you feel about him or what he meant to you or if you were calling him there to confront him or reject him and in that way you had a lot of power there Mm. was agency and power in you yes you had these questions but 
it's funny to me to hear you say that you wrote a scene where you were grasping at power because from a director's standpoint, you came in with all the power. He had to come to you as a ghost. He had to sit there and stay. And when you said, look at me, he looked and you threw the drink. Hmm. And you asked your questions and he conceded. I was ashamed of myself. And then he couldn't bear to be there anymore. And he left. Hmm. And that to me feels like a woman exercising her power. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, maybe I would have, had I ever confronted my dad, felt felt a uh, felt that power. Maybe some okay. So so in the scene, how I was saying, like, I guess I felt sort of like I wrote a scene where I'm grasping for power, but I didn't feel very powerless. You're saying that's probably because you actually did have power. Yeah. And I was thinking that it's because it wasn't my real dad. But you're saying no, you had power. Yeah, you've had power the whole time. Huh. Yeah, maybe I did have power. Maybe he was afraid of me or would have been afraid of what I was would have said over lunch or hmm. I guess I hadn't thought of that. I guess I just haven't thought of it that way. I've always had power. I just don't have any evidence of that. Yeah. <laughs> what you're describing, I just don't have any evidence of that. But that's something I'll think about. Have I had power this whole time? Or, and was this the evidence of that? Maybe. This? Maybe. Hmm. It did feel nice to just, like, yell, look at me. That felt nice. I never get to yell stuff like that. Like, demand stuff. Especially of, like, a, you know, grown-ass white man. It's fun to demand it. What do you want to take with you moving forward from the feelings you had? Hmm. Um, you know, the first time I threw the water, I, like, grazed his ear <laughs> and splashed, like, all the carpeting behind us. And then the second time I threw it, I, like, had, like, a parabolic whoosh, and it, like, twisted around past him onto your script and onto you. And then the third time, when, like, I actually hit him on the face— it felt so good. Like, I hit the mark, you know? I hit it. That's who I was supposed to hit with this. How dare you believe you didn't owe me anything? I finally hit the right person with that. And it's been, like, so much easier to hit other people with my pain. You know, his friends for being just so, like, unaware that I could be having a different experience than this. You know, I was, like, angry at my mom in advance of the funerals for, like, how I thought she was not going to be able to handle herself. She handled herself fine. I'm the one who stormed off into a bathroom. She was she's great. Um, and I just have very rarely been able to hit the mark. It's his. That's on him. When I finally got that water in Sweet Jim's face with that line, it felt like, oh, it feels great. I hit the mark. I hit him right in the nose, you know? I hit him right, hit the right person, the right target for that demand. And I think that's what I want to take with me, that it actually feels quite good when you can send the right feeling to the right person. You can send the right <laughs> invoice to the person who actually owed you. Do you feel like you're still in a soap opera here today right now? Oh, my genre? Yeah. Maybe for a little while longer. I don't want to. I don't want to let go of being a soap opera, a character in a soap opera, because I, I, I see the merit of speaking plainly, and clearly, 
declaring, here's what I actually feel. Let me declare what I mean. I want to keep that with me. If my genre can change soon and I can still keep that lesson with me in my back pocket, that would be ideal. That would be ideal. I think that's nice. Hmm. (sighs) (sighs) I'm exhausted. Yeah. It's exhausting confronting your ghost dad. Next time on Untitled Dad Project, Janielle visits with the reverend who officiated her dad's funeral, and we reckon with what to do when the script fails us. It's chapter three, script. Yeah, sure. I guess I, that's fair to say. I'm an expert in burying your father. If there's no room for you in the script, do you exist at all? Ew. But now they are blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. So I don't read the stage directions. Oh, this is going to be interesting. It's just the two of us. <laughs> okay. okay, ready? See you then. Untitled Dad Project is co-hosted by me, Janielle Kastner, and Carson McCain. If you like this project at all, the best thing you can do to help us is head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us some stars and write a review. It helps so much. We'd really love to hear how genre is relevant in your life. Has your genre switched suddenly on you? Has it switched again? Has it switched back? Tell us at Untitled Dad Project on social media or email us untitleddadproject at spokemedia.io. We think your story matters and you might be kind of cool. Untitled Dad Project is a Spoke Media production and we're produced by Carson McCain with associate producer Kelly Kolf and our sweet baby intern, Lauren Floyd. Special thanks to Taylor Ann Ramsey, talented actress, even more wonderful person to sit across the table from. Miguel Lopez Fitzgerald would have been lucky to have you, but I'm glad your genre has changed. And thanks to our wonderful actor, Jim Johnson, who played my ghost dad, and Collier Spring for figuring out how to record our soap opera session. This episode was mixed by Evan Arnett, and our head of post-production is Will Short. The music you heard at the end of today's episode was composed in response to this chapter by Rat Rios. She also wrote our theme song, Flora vs. Fauna. Check her out at Rat Rios on Instagram and Rat Rios on SoundCloud. And our executive producers are Aaliyah Tavakolian and Keith Reynolds. Thank you for listening. It means the world. <laughs>